episode two. <laughs> Okay, so for the audience, we just finished recording with our first guest, Dan Johnson. You are all going to love it because uh, we loved it. It was it was really a remarkable, magical episode. Um, we get into some super interesting topics with Dan, and um, yeah, I honestly think he was like the best first guest that we could have asked for. Yeah, he did a. Fantastic job. He, he makes the expectations high for our future guests. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I think we'll enjoy all of our guests. But yeah, Dan was going to be on, is on this episode, and he's my boyfriend. So um, there are, there's some relationship questions for the end, but otherwise we're going to talk about what he loves, like Sixers, video games. Yeah. I think yeah. after after watching this episode, our our fans are really going to understand Dan on a much deeper level. We really get into like how he views himself, how he views the people around him, and how that relates to the the things that he loves. And it's great. Yeah, I think it's, he tells it all. Yeah, he's all he 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 can crack some jokes. He's decent at that, and I hope people can relate to him too. Like, yeah. By getting to know him. Yeah, but before we get into that, um, uh, we'll have Dan on in a moment uh, from your your perspective. Um, but we had a, a great first episode as well. That was uh, just me, Ryland Deemer, and you. Elisa Wildey. Um, and welcome to the wardrobe on yet another episode. Uh, this is the Who You Know podcast. And yeah, today we know Dan Johnson. But... Um, I wanted to talk about that first episode. Is there anything? Um, I wouldn't say we we winged it because it was we both prepared questions in advance, and we were being very thoughtful about it. But we didn't share the questions with each other before the right. episode. So um, I'm hoping it didn't feel too disorganized. But um, was there anything you wanted to clarify, set the record straight on? I don't think there's anything on my end. Um, but no, I think overall, maybe that episode, I was still a little nervous. Um, and so, like, maybe I saw that side of me, so that made me excited for episode two to, like, be more relaxed, just getting that first episode out of the way for me. Um did you feel more relaxed and talking with Dan today? Definitely. And I don't yeah. know if, I think it's just the first episode is out of the way aspect. I was wondering if it was like there's a third person here and that's why, but I think it's just, I feel so much more relaxed, but um, I don't think I have anything to go off on from episode one, but do you have anything? Yeah, so uh, I do, but I, I also want to respond to what you just said, because okay. uh, I was also feeling nervous the first episode and... I don't know if it's apparent to people because I've been told that I mask it really well. Um, but definitely I had nerves. And I I felt like in today's conversation with Dan, it, it felt uh, 95% of the time I felt like I had no nerves at all. It was just, it felt so good. So good. 
and um i i i was excited after the first episode but after the second episode i'm sky high yeah like i am beyond excited for the future and we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up um let me let me first say i don't know if this is setting the record straight but uh i talked a little bit about my dad in the first episode and i love him so much and he he really sacrificed a lot um in my childhood to like provide for family um i i mentioned that he would be away from from the home for you know a week two weeks uh, at its longest it was a couple months uh for work and um while that did affect me uh and changed how i developed i'm also so beyond happy with who i became as a person and you know i have him and my mom to thank for that uh for raising me so so well um yeah and just making me into the person that i am so so you know i i I was talking in the first episode in the context of my dad being away a lot and how i relate to men versus women and I didn't want that to come across as like a negative thing at all because uh, people love me. I'm unique. I, you know, I am who I am, and uh, uh, the way that I was raised is part of that. So yeah, I have no like ill feelings about that. So I just want to make that clear. Like I love my dad so much and my mom, but you know, my comments were about my dad. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure the the record was clear on that. Yeah, I think. I think it's definitely like we just talked about how it shaped you as a person and psychology or behind that, mm-hmm. which I enjoy. Like look, looking back and reflecting on my own life about that too. Yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of great things uh, up and coming. As you can tell, we are investing in the show. We brought on a second microphone. We also worked a lot on the, the audio filters. So hopefully, this one sounds a lot better for everyone. Um, we also put up some more soundproofing on one end of the room we got a lot going on over here uh i hope you're all excited we're definitely excited to to keep improving i think the next thing we want to do is get a new table so um yeah we are actively looking at estate sales for (laughs) for something good there um but yeah stay tuned uh we'll have dan on in a few minutes uh here in the wardrobe this is the who you know podcast and thanks all for joining us Thank you all for joining us today welcome to the wardrobe uh this is the who you know podcast and the person that we know that we are introducing you to today is dan johnson boyfriend of elisa wildy i'm of course rylan deemer and i'm elisa wildy and uh yeah let's get started <laughs> welcome dan thank you it's a pleasure to be here yeah we're really honored uh you are our first guest obviously mm-hmm and so we're very nervous uh but we did some some prep we looked deep into your your past okay and uh i think you've got to be feeling pretty good today but let me know because i looked up what happened with the sixers yesterday and they won yeah yeah so how are you feeling um i'm kind of neutral so i i 
in preparation for last night's game, and for those who aren't watching this, you know, the day after the game, um, that was game six of the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, Sixers really laid an egg the game prior, so I'd sort of emotionally checked out a bit um, in preparation for the potential that they would lose that series and crush my heart. Um, yeah, so you're feeling good. The Sixers won. They laid an egg last time. Um, what does laying an egg mean? <laughs> well, for a specific example, it's when you're up by 26 and proceed to lose the game. Um, so that's one specific example, laying an egg. But yeah, just a disappointing performance, I guess. It's a shorter yeah. example. Yeah, and do you have high hopes for this season? Um, heading into it, not especially. It was sort of a reset year where the franchise was really bad last year, or at least didn't meet expectations. So heading in, expectations weren't that high. The team proceeded to then over, overperform any preseason expectations. So then, obviously, heading into the playoffs, you sort of recalibrate where you were looking at this team prior to the season and where you're at now. And yeah, I was really hoping that this would be a championship run. At this point, I'm not so confident, but holding up hope. Sure. Yeah. Do you think they'll win Game 7? Oh, they'll definitely win Game 7. Yeah, I'm not worried about that. And, like, in the context of your relationship, how... Because I, I know Elisa isn't as emotionally invested in the Sixers as you are, mm-hmm. um, probably by a degree of magnitude. Yeah. But she's been emotionally invested in you, obviously. So how... Like, how does your love of the Sixers interact with your relationship? And, and like, how does Elisa support you through each season? Wow. Um... Or how do I not? Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will say, so it's much easier to be an overreactionary, like insanely passionate fan when you're not in a relationship because, you know, if you're living alone, no one else has to deal with the, the repercussions of your team losing or, you know, how I might have reacted to that. So I actually think Elisa has calmed down the worst side of my fandom a little bit where I, I try not to get so down because I know there is another person that... Um, has to live with me. Like it's, it's not anything that you know. It's not an individual experience. How I react to both the highs and the lows are going to be affected by another or felt by another person. So I think she's helped curb some of the worst sides of it, and then also it just gives me another outlet. Like previously, um, a disappointing loss or the season even ending, it was it definitely takes a, a bit of time to like find the next thing like that. I'm going to spend mental energy focusing on uh, for the majority of days. Uh, not the majority of days, but. Um, but having another person, it just it gives me a quick outlet to be like, okay, they lost, but I still have an awesome person next to me, and she makes lots of plans for us, so it's easy to distract myself. I think it's in his favor that growing up, I didn't have a professional team that I followed, and so when I started dating him, he just morphed me into like, okay, you're a Sixers fan, you're an Eagles fan, etc. And so I would say I'm a fan. It's not like his fan experience but I have to be a fan of the Sixers and the Eagles now (laughs) but it's 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 helpful that I wasn't a fan of anything before that I can be morphed (laughs) I think the I don't know the easiest way to compare our fandoms in my mind is at least as a fan during the games so she'll root and care for wins and losses during the game and that that's when she cares about it whereas I'm the fan where the sense that the games sort of permeate through the rest of my life <laughs> in you know both good and bad but when the team is doing well i tend to be pretty chipper 
um, on most days. It's just easier to wake up with a smile and whatnot. Whereas when I'm doing poorly, I'm not depressed, but it's like, damn, like that thing I look forward to in life that, you know, that thing is, that's mine is not going the best. So it's a, it definitely affects the rest of my life much more than it affects at least it's outside of the actual game time. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So it's something that we wanted to talk about. Um, <clears throat> like how being a fan is so embedded in you and, and like what it means to you. So, um, you know, kind of, kind of specifically, does being a fan mean that you just relate to the team or, or do you also relate to like other fans of the the Sixers or the Eagles, you know, depending on the season, is that like something that bonds you to other people in a community, or like like how do you experience that? Because it's it's not something that I have any you know direct experience with yep. being a fan of a sports team, and and I think not really. You know, while while you're a fan of the the Sixers, as you pointed out, it's like during the game. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd kind of like to to explore a little bit about. You know how you experience that, and what it what it means to you yourself, and and when you see that that life fandom in other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think you hit, you hit it on the head pretty well, where it does create that bond between people that you've never met before, like just walking down the street. And the easiest example is, I don't know, the Eagles won the Eagles won the Super Bowl a few years ago, and it's just every single person. For the next couple of years that I saw after that, wearing a piece of Eagles gear or doing any of that, it was, it was just an instant like, yeah, like like me and you, we went through it and we made it. Like, um, and I, I guess the way I, I don't know, the easiest comparison to make is, um, it's almost like a form of, oh, it's going to sound bad when I say it, but like nationalism, like on a on a smaller scale, but um, people want to root for the place that they were born or the country that they're from or and whatnot so being the fan of a sports team you know i'm from the philadelphia area um i root for all the philadelphia sports teams although the eagles and the sixers hold the highest eye in my heart but it's yeah it's 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 sort of like wanting it for the city of philadelphia now i do get an emotional attachment to the athletes themselves as well but it's more so that like i care about the teams which you know a lot of people tell you both things like you should care about the players more you should care about the teams more but I think I definitely I side more with the teams, like um, just in terms of I'm not going to follow a player around the league and root for whatever team he's on. I'm yeah going to continue to root for the Philadelphia sports teams because again it's it's really like that it's sort of bit of like nationalism, but it's you know to my city it's like oh I want to see Philadelphia succeed, like I want our sports teams to succeed because um, I know it does lift the whole area up. Like it's yeah yeah it's a it's an interesting phenomenon, and I saw that when I was in Chicago. When the oh my god, am I gonna the Cubs? When the Cubs yep. won, that was I mean the whole city went ballistic in, in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. People threw open their windows. It's a quiet neighborhood normally, and everyone's just screaming out to the street. It was beautiful. So, you know that that's probably like the one part of sports fandom that I have experienced is the way that it can affect an entire uh, an entire area. It's it's really something special. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side of the coin, you know, you said you feel that bond with other fans. What about um, anti-fans, people who are against the team? Like, how do you feel about people that are rooting for the other side? Does that color your opinion of them? Um, I don't think I would ever let it get to the point 
of actually letting it like affect my opinion of a person. I actually try to, as much as possible, I try to remove um, like vitriol or hate from my sports fandom. Just in terms, like I don't know, you have a really lot, a lot of uh, I don't know. I guess like harmful sports fans or whatever, where their their fandom is driven by hate. Like it's hate for the other team or hate for a certain player or you know what was me. I, I try to avoid that because I don't think that's a you know the healthiest way to um, be sports. But it's also just not my personal favorite way. Like I want to support my team for being my team. I don't want to root against the team. Um, the one exception is the Cowboys. I, <laughs> I, I, I do hate the Dallas Cowboys, but not their fans. Just the, the, that team in general. Um, so it, it, I mean, again, like I, I, I will say there there is so one example where I, I did let it get to me. Um, Elisa and I went to a an, an Eagles bar in um, in the local area to watch a, a playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks, and there was a Seattle fan that was also at the bar. Which, yeah, you know, of course, like, it's not like an exclusively Eagles bar. It's just a lot of Eagles fans were there. But this guy was especially um, he was trying to instigate. Like he was, um, yeah, just very vocal and very um, derogatory with his with his vocalness about like you know just he wasn't rooting for the Seahawks as much as he was rooting against the Eagles. It felt like um, so that. Definitely irked me, and I didn't do anything about it. But I was venting to Elisa for most of the game that I was pretty upset at this guy. But it was also not upset that he's a Seahawks fan. It was upset that he was sort of mean or derogatory, like you said, to the Eagles fans. It's like disrespectful. I feel like was the part that was bothering you, right? Potentially. I mean, <laughs> playoffs are a different animal. So, <laughs> I mean, you are you know people who are Cowboys fans. Yeah. And, he, and like it doesn't bother you, no. Knowing they're Cowboys fans, it's just you hate the Cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and for just that one guy, I mean, it was at an Eagles bar, so that that says something about what he was trying to do there. Yeah. Right? I also call it an Eagle. It, it is not like the, the sign on the door doesn't say Philadelphia Eagles fans only. Like it's a a local bar that Eagles fans choose to congregate at as um yeah means of you know. Getting together. So, so, like, if it was his first time there, he'd probably have no idea. But, like, I feel like you know as the season goes on, like, what teams congregate at this bar. Yeah. But it's okay. So, anyways, I guess back to the original point. I do try to separate, I guess, the uh, the fandom from the person. Like, I, I'm not going to ever judge it. Because, again, it's, it's also, like, that person isn't, like, not every Cowboys fan was born in Dallas, obviously. But a large percentage are. And I'm not going to. Like ever be mad at someone for being born in the city and supporting that city? Like that's just a silly thing to. Could you live in Dallas? Yeah, probably. <laughs> did did the Cowboys do? I, like, did they hurt you? Like, why? Um, why them? Well, they are the Eagles' biggest rival, but why them specifically? Like, it, it's a sort of like the um, elitism, I guess. Like, because they have this storied history, so every. Like essentially, they can dangle it in front of um, your face, and they they choose to because obviously, why not? Like, if you have this history and you, you are a successful franchise compared to the Eagles, who prior to a few years ago had never won a Super Bowl, it's really easy to sort of kick down. Which is, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I wouldn't do the same thing in that position. It's hard to say. Um, I've always been a fan of a city with <laughs> very unfortunate sports teams, so I haven't been in that position too often. But um, yeah, it's just the it, and, and it's not like. It, like the Cowboys aren't the only franchise that does this. I mean, I'm not a huge baseball fan, but the Yankees' elitism is like another example. Uh, Lakers as well. It's all these fan- like 
these teams that have just had so much success in their history, I'm just like, take a back seat for like 10 minutes. Like let another franchise do something. And then, yeah, you, you can have your turn later on, but it's, I don't know, it's the sense that they always have to win and they always, yeah, that they, 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 are, they deserve it more than your team does in, in, in one way or another, which is silly to me. But. So when, when I was growing up, and I'm, I'm hoping you can help me understand this, but when I was growing up, um, I, uh, in, in a couple different instances and to some different degrees, I was made fun of for not liking sports, not liking hunting, um, liking video games, like basically the things that I enjoyed and didn't enjoy. It was, it was communicated to me that I was less manly because of that. Do you think for yourself that there's some aspect of like how you experience being a, a man specifically that is tied up with your, your love of sports or the love of these specific teams? Is there something to that? Um, this might not be answering your question directly, but I think it's related. So I also grew up not liking sports. Um, I was very much like a nerdy kid, which still I'm a nerdy person, but um, grew up, you know, I was playing video games inside. Like I, I wanted to stay inside and play video games or, um, I don't know, like strategy games with my friends or whatnot. So I, I was not like a sports person growing up and, but I was always like a, a bit bigger than my classmates. Like I was just a naturally fairly large person. So I think, uh, you know, in my dad's eyes, I was always destined to play football at some point. Like, oh, my son's like, you know, my dad, my dad's a big sports guy. He was a, uh, Played his whole life, loves watching sports. Um, so he'd always wanted me to be like a bigger sports, um, I guess, fan and like player than I was. And it wasn't like I avoided it entirely. Like I played, you know, all the t-ball growing up and intramural soccer leagues and whatnot. But it was just not what I was passionate about. Um, and I don't know what flipped my switch, but prior to eighth grade, I did just. It was almost like a decision where I was like, okay, I guess I'll try it out. And I watched NFL Network for the entire summer, and I was like, oh football thing's pretty cool. Like, I, I like it. And so then I play football in the fall for my middle school. And then from there on, it's just been, like, an obsession. Um, oh, that's so interesting that you, you just kind of pivoted into it. Yeah. It was very, it was, it was a hard pivot. Because I, I, I didn't, again, I, I don't think I grew up um, not watching sports, because I did, and I played them growing up. But again, I wasn't, like, a huge fan of even the Philadelphia sports teams until I was in eighth grade. I was always a big Michigan Wolverines fan, because my dad was originally from Michigan. So he... That was like the one thing I actually did grow up watching was the Michigan football games. And even then I was more of like a, like I wanted to go to Michigan for my academics and I liked the football team, but like I, I liked the school more for being, I don't know, the university of Michigan, but yeah, it was a pretty hard pivot. Um, prior to eighth grade and, you know, back to your original question about the manliness component. Um, I'm sure that's some of my dad's, um, motivation or at least like, you know, I think there was some element of him that wanted me to, to do this. So it was like, yeah, like, um, I'll give it a shot. And I don't, I don't think I made, and this is a long time ago at this point, so I don't, my memory is not completely clear, but I don't think I made it solely for my dad, but I think it might have been, I'm sure it impacted it. I mean, you want to, you know, I guess, make your parents proud of you. Although, again, I don't think that was my main motivation. I truly did really love it uh, after that summer. So it was just a, yeah, bit of a switch flip. And then even, oh, I'm rambling a little bit, but even once I got into high school, it was a means of, 
uh, making friends as well. So it was, it was weird. Like I sort of, the transition from middle school to high school um, was a big transition in my friend group. Um, just I, I ended up stopped hanging out with a lot of my middle school and elementary school friends. And I started hanging out with this new group of people who were, where they were really in the sports and they were really in the fantasy sports. So I'd never played a fantasy sport prior to high school, but now, again, it's another thing I'm obsessed with. So, yeah, I mean, sports are almost as much of a, like a social catalyst for me as much as anything. Like, they help me make friends. Um, yeah. So That's really fascinating. And you, you've used the word obsession a couple of times. So um, we also wanted to talk about video games. Oh, okay. <laughs> and... Um, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, this is something that that is near and dear to my heart. Um, but how do you handle like the time commitment involved with being a? I don't necessarily like this word, but being a gamer, like that's that's a lot to juggle. We have a demanding career, yep. which you know requires additional work being done outside of the job. Uh, you're following sports closely. And also, you are an accomplished gamer. You have many achievements. <laughs> um, I feel like you have to pick and choose your battles, obviously. Um, I mean, there was, there was a pretty decent period of time, uh, especially right after college, where I don't think I was as much of a gamer. Um, I, I was more of the, the casual, like, I'll play Fortnite with my friends when they're available, but it wasn't like... I wasn't banging out, you know, 60-hour single-player campaigns uh, for a period of time. And it was, I don't know, partially because I think I had an Xbox, and I didn't. I wasn't crazy about their exclusives as much as I was um, some other things that were out there. But then, I mean, to your point, like, yeah, there, there only is so much time. So uh, it, it definitely comes in waves. So when I'm studying, I virtually, you know, don't play very much video games at all. And when I do, it's... Um, sort of hit it and quit it games, like very compressible. Like I don't have to sit here for a few hours and get invested. It's something I can pick up for 30 or 40 minutes and then put back down and have that fill the gap. Um, lack of sleep helps as well. I, uh, I'm i still at the point in my life where I'm able to subsidize sleep for some of the other um, yeah, entertainment and uh, hobbies that I have, which probably isn't a great long-term solution, but it does, it does work in the short term. And... Um, helps because you know i don't want to be someone who plays video games all the time and it doesn't hang out with his his lovely girlfriend at all so um you know she sleeps at a normal time so if i don't sleep at that normal time i can sort of steal back time like it's i get this whole span of time where i can both enjoy my hobby but then also not throw away the time that i would have had um to do other things that you know are theoretically more important in life so theoretically yeah (laughs) well Actually, more important. There's a weird audio glitch. So, I might have asked you this before, but I don't remember your answer. Do you wish that I played video games? Like, would you enjoy me, like, being able to spend time that way with me? Um, I don't think it's anything I'm missing right now. Like, I, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't sit around like, oh, dang it! Like, Elisa's really not the perfect girl because she can't she can't hang with me in, in Mario Party. But um, I can't. <laughs> she can't. He always wins. Yeah, that's not something I get hung up on. I mean, I don't know. It would just be another facet of who you are. But that's not like I, I don't think I ever. 
I don't know. I wasn't one of those guys who was like, oh, my dream girl is going to have a 3.0 KD in Call of Duty. Like, she's going to be this hardcore gamer. Um, I mean, I think it's actually kind of healthy. Like, like, we do have our own hobbies, and it's not something that we have to get competitive over, which is nice. Um, like, I love playing board games with you, but that, that can get competitive, and it can <laughs> cause some awkward nights. So it's nice to not have to, you know... We're some competitive people when it comes to board games, yeah. so it's probably better we don't play video games, too. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And, um... I don't know, Rowan, how about you? Are, do you wish Chen... Oh, I don't know if I should say... Yeah, that's fine. That's okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> she, she might be a guest at right, some point. That's true. So, yeah, and, and my wife's name is no secret. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he has a wife. Sick brag, bro. <laughs> Um, you wish Chen was more in the video games, or you could. Play um, it's an interesting question. It's not like I use the word enjoy. I think, or or maybe it was use the word enjoy in your question. I don't remember. But um, for me, for me, if Chen played video games, I. It, it's not an aspect of like it being fun or whatever for me, but video games are such a large part of how I experience the world and how I, how I process my life that, um, you know, playing video games, I think would make it easier to understand me as a person. And it's fine that she doesn't. What that means is I, I spend time, uh, talking with her, you know, about the things I experience in games, describing how it makes me feel, why it makes me feel that way. So, you know, it, it takes some extra effort on my part to help her understand who I am. Um, and she doesn't need to play video games for that to happen. It just means that there's like an additional step in, in me, um, you know, sharing who I am mm -hmm. with her. So, um, do I wish she played? I don't think it really matters. Because mm. um, whether she plays or not, I'm going to find a way to to share myself with her. Um, yeah. I guess last question. Delisa, do, do you wish that you were a gamer and could share that? So I don't wish I was a gamer in the aspect of I don't want to spend... 60 hours playing a game but I wish I was better so that I could compete with people because mm. now like if someone were to ask me to play Call of Duty with them for example I'm going to say no because I know I'm not going to do well I'm not going to be a good teammate I'm not going to be a good like competition so that frustrates me it's the only reason I wish I could play is just for multiplayer aspect mm. and be able to participate in something like that but I also don't think I have enough motivation to try to get better. So maybe the short answer is no, I guess not. <laughs> Do you? But, sorry, were you? No. no. I, I didn't want to cut you off. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we talked about like fandoms uh, related to sports. Um, do you feel anything similar to that with video games? Like, do you, do you connect with gamers on, on some level? I ask because I feel like that's how you and I bonded at first. Mm -hmm. um, for those who aren't aware, uh, 
uh, Dan and Elisa are both my coworkers. And, uh, you know, I, I think we met at work because we were collaborating on something. Yeah, I think we used to, we, we, were, we worked in adjacent roles. Right. And um, it, it came out pretty quickly that, that we played games. And, uh, you know, that, that, that to me was, I was like, oh, cool. Someone who understands at least some aspect of me. Mm-hmm. And then we were able to just like share that. I don't know if I have that. I don't know if like consciously I made that connection. Um, there very well could have been a subconscious, you know, because I, I do think those, you know, those connections and those, um, it's almost like a comfort level. Like as soon as you heard that, you probably like, you felt more comfortable. It was, um, I'm, I'm they, those, those things happen automatically. And I feel like it probably did like make it easier to talk to you or make it easier to have that relationship because there's some, you know, there's plenty of people in life that I, you know, I, I don't feel like that initial connection. Like there's, you know, so many things that you don't connect on. You guys, you just live different lives or you have different hobbies. So no, I, I, again, I, I to your initial point, I don't think that clicked for me until maybe you asked that question, but I'm sure it did have uh, some impact to, yeah, helping build that relationship. I mean, it is, I don't know. I felt since I've started it um, in, in the work life, I've been fortunate enough to, all my coworkers are, good people like I've been fairly fortunate to just work with good people and also we all are in the same field so that that that's like another instant you know if like um a connection with someone is a certain threshold you have to achieve that's like 50 percent of the battle right there is just being in the same field they're the same profession it's like okay so I have I have something like there's a that initial common ground and then I'm sure you know like you said the video games may have pushed that over that threshold where it's a friendship <laughs> it blooms from there so but yeah I, I don't feel it um as much as i do with the sports though like it, mm-hmm. it's like i don't hear um that someone plays video games and immediately i'm like oh this person like knows me or knows my struggle whereas if i see someone like who roots for the sixers or whatever i'm like oh, they've been through it with me like that person because I, I do think also well that's probably a bad conception but um Video games themselves are also a bit more of a broad category. Like, if you like a specific game that I liked or like a certain franchise, then, you know, that's probably another level. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, both being the fan of the same sports team, like, that's a bit more concentrated or specific. Like, if someone likes sports in general, there's still a whole, there's a large percentage chance we don't like the same sports, and then you sort of lose that. Um, like, it's only one level to it. Um, so just knowing that you like video games themselves it's like you know he might like this weird game that i'm not a huge fan of but i think we also had similar interest in the games as well which helped i don't know that we've actually well i don't know that our libraries are the exact same but i think we are interested in the same genres and whatnot so yeah and i that's a good point that you bring up because i guess when i when i am talking about um that connection that i feel between myself and other gamers it is specific to people that have at least some overlapping taste in games, as mm-hmm. I do. Like, if all somebody plays is Call of Duty, Battlefield, I may not relate to them as well as somebody who, who plays Hades and yep. Monster Hunter. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great point. And I was going to bring up, like, do you... I feel like you are emotionally invested in your sports teams. But are you like 
emotionally invested in any specific video game too but like do you feel that same I don't know I feel like emotions might get you to connect with someone more over an emotional topic such as the Sixers I don't know versus I don't know if you have that same connection with video games or is Um, there a game I don't think it's quite at the same level I mean you can probably attest you've never seen me jump up and down and scream at a video game as much as I have but you've cried right I did cry at the end of Spider-Man, the PS4 version of Spider-Man. Very emotional ending. That's a little bit different, though. But, yeah, no, I I see what you're saying. But, yeah, I guess, like, the raw emotions aren't quite the same. But there are certain certain video games that almost get to that level because they're they're almost like sports themselves. So for a time, I was was really invested in Overwatch, which, you know, getting a win in that was almost like getting a win playing a game of pickup basketball. It was just like... um, there's so much like teamwork and I don't, yeah, the, like games like that do come close to. I think it's not sports fandom, I guess, as much as actually like playing the sport, but um, they come close to eliciting that same response where it's like a, a mixture of pride and just raw testosterone like <laughs> coming out. So well, and it's it's certainly I think understandable why esports is becoming such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Team sports have exploded in popularity. Can definitely understand like people connecting with their team, like maybe their their big cloud nine stands. Like it, it makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. and so I think you're seeing a lot of that like emotional connection that you know you have to like a traditional physical sports team uh, in the esports world as well. Mm-hmm. It is it's kind of funny. So in actual sports fandom, I'm much more of like the team oriented person and whatnot, which I think is why I struggle to get into. Some other sports, like I don't know, golf, for example, or tennis, where it's so individual, and I just don't relate to any one individual. I think I'm the opposite on esports, where I actually do. There's, I was in the the professional Smash, uh, Super Smash Bros. scene for a while, and I did really get invested in some of the individual players. And I was like, I want this guy to win. Like I don't really, you know, I, I didn't care about the sponsors as much, but it was like actual specific gamers. I was like, yeah, like I really like the way this guy plays or his style. So I, I do want that person to succeed. So it's sort of the flip-flop of each other. Well, just... I wonder I wonder why. Like I wonder is is it the geographic thing? Like Philadelphia is is where your 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 sports teams are from and you just don't have that geographic potentially. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I could be wrong here, but it might be the fact that just the individual scene of video game tournaments like developed quicker than the team scene did. Like there there's been tournaments for individuals for video games probably going back as long as video games have existed. So that's like a fairly developed concept and just, like, general format, whereas these team-based games are only starting to, to come up. Um, I don't know, because Philadelphia actually does have, like, the Sixers, my favorite basketball team, they actually do, I think they're invested in a professional Overwatch team. Now, I don't care about that team at all, but um, it, it's out there, so it, it's weird. I don't know what the exact answer is. Um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Interesting. So... We three are sitting around this table, and we're all actuaries. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about that. And I, I think to start, like how it's such an unknown profession. So how did you decide, how, how did you even like learn about being an actuary, what it means to be an actuary, and decide to devote at least your young adulthood to it? I think I'm a little abnormal in this sense, and 
I feel like I've told this story so many times, it's almost cliche at this point, even though this will be the podcast first time hearing it. But um, You heard it here first, yes, folks. Yes, you heard it here first. <laughs> um, my seventh grade math teacher, out of the blue one day, like, I don't know, I was always fairly good at math, and by fairly good, like, really good at math, but I don't want to brag too much. But um, So I was really good at math growing up, and my seventh grade math teacher, I think just out of the blue, she um, she said, like, hey, there's this profession actuarial science which is like always ranked among the top 10 professions in the country like you should look into it so i think i probably went home that night and googled top 10 professions like oh, is this lady serious like let me check out let me find this top 10 list and sure enough i don't know whatever three or four or five wherever it was actuarial science was up there and it was the two the two like the hallmark features where um i think a good work-life balance was one of them which you know we can discuss whether that's true or not but it was noted for having a good work-life balance and then obviously paying a lot. So I'm a, sort of a, I acknowledge that I'm a bit of a, probably lazier person than, than, than the average. I don't know. I, I think I have a bit of laziness to me, um, which, so when I hear, you know, so I'm, I'm about optimizing. I, I like optimizing most situations. So if I hear, you know, good work-life balance, which to me equates to lower work hours plus higher pay, well, that's that's an optimization. Like that's a... That's a market inequality right there. So anyways, um, my seventh grade teacher suggested it to me. Sort of just stuck. Like, it sounded good. Um, you can ask Elisa. Like, this, she's seen, like, was it, like, an essay or something that I had from eighth grade? Or yeah, it was like, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I don't know. What, I don't, know. I don't I, I, remember I, what it said, <laughs> but I actually thought your grandpa also had, like, a lot of influence. Well, my, he was a math professor, right? Yeah, my grandpa was a math professor, and, you know, he was a PhD in some form of mathematics. Um so I, I more so it should be him to why I was good at math. I don't think he was, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I'm sure he probably knew what an actuary was, but he wasn't the reason that I found out what an actuary was. Um, no, you're right, because I think I was shocked that in eighth grade you knew, I want to be an actuary. And I was like, what the heck? How did you know what an actuary was in eighth grade? But, okay. So that I was sort of just something I never deviated from. Like, it wasn't, like, always the thing that, you know, people would ask, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I think I would always throw out, like, oh, yeah, like, maybe be an actuary, but also... You know, I'm not, like, dead set on that, but it just stuck around. It was always, like, sort of the, the top of my list. And I was like, okay, you get, you get to the time when college is rolling around, and why not? Sure. Like, I haven't found anything better that I've heard about, so I'll go down this path. Um, pretty much exclusively applied to schools that were centers of actuarial excellence, which isn't that tough on the East Coast because, I don't know, a lot of the Northeast or Big Ten schools do have that designation, but... Um, so it's not like, the you know, you don't need to go to an Ivy League school to go to a school that's a center of actuarial excellence or has that designation. But yeah, I just kept going down that path. Um, probably the, I don't know, the only time I ever thought about deviating was like sophomore year in college, I want to say. Yeah, sophomore year in college, the head of our actual program at Penn, Penn State, that's where I went to school, um, he actually emailed me directly noting that I got a B minus in calculus in my freshman year. And he asked, like he, he said I was not good enough at math. And I should probably consider switching careers. So I don't know that to me, that, that, that sort of lit a fire. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna show this guy, like, I'm gonna keep doing this and finish it out. Um, so yeah, I've just been doing it since then. Um, oh, you're really dunked on that guy. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> he was a really good professor. I don't want to down talk him, but and, and, and no shade. I, I I know why he did what he did because it is such a you know it's a difficult field and also um, at, at least at Penn State and I'm sure at other schools you don't really have the weed out class until your junior year 
Mm-hmm. So for people that are going down this path and then eventually they get to the point where they're like, you know, this actually is harder than I think it is um, and I can't do it. They're pretty far into their college careers, which makes transitioning to something else just difficult. So, I, you know, I, I, I understand what his intentions were and he wanted to just give people a fair warning. I thought his wording was um, disrespectful. So <laughs> I decided to take it personally and, you know, try to prove him wrong. But, um, yeah, no, it wasn't. In hindsight, I understand what it was and what he was doing. And some people need that uh, kind of disrespect thrown at them to give them that fire in the belly to, to push through it. It sounds like, in a way, it helped you, even if you didn't feel good about it in the moment. It definitely did help me. I mean, I was a, a bad college student pretty much for my first couple of years. Um, I, I picked up a lot of bad habits in high school where, I, you know, I, I performed very well in high school, but I, I learned to game the system in a sense where... I didn't have to work that hard in high school to perform well, and I tried to carry that same work ethic into college, which flew for a couple classes, but you know, eventually you get to the point where you actually do have to work hard in college, and I, I, that was a, a shock to me. So I ended up, you know, like I said, I got a B minus in calculus uh, too, which I probably shouldn't have, just if I worked harder or actually gave it the effort it deserved. Um, so no, I, I mean, I definitely didn't need that shock because, yeah, like I said, I had a lot of bad habits that I needed to break, and. I, I, I did break them, and um, especially in, in our career, um, you have to be really good at studying, which I wasn't the best at studying prior to college. I was more of a, let me see the notes 30 minutes before the exam, and I'll remember most of it and be able to um, do pretty well. Whereas in the actuarial exams, you can't like shortchange them, or else they'll kick your butt. So, yeah. Are you still like thriving in the actuarial field now? Like, are you still feeling fulfilled by being an actuary? Fulfilled's a funny word. Um, I don't feel, I don't think my, yeah, I, I guess I don't feel like any sort of spiritual gratification from the work I do or anything like that, but I am very satisfied with my career and with the work I do. Like, I, I enjoy it. Um, it, it, yeah, it makes my days, you know, I, I don't despise going to work. I, I like the work I'm doing. I like the problems that I have to solve. Um, it's, again, it's not something that I feel like I'm changing the world with, um, and it's not something that, you know, is going to, like, one of my goals is to hopefully retire, you know, somewhat young. So it's not one of the things that, I, and maybe maybe this changes in the future, but I don't think I'm going to be one of those people that does this for fun or ends up trying to be a professor because they love it so much, um, anything like that. It's sort of a, it's a means to an end. I, you know, I think I've identified that, like, I do have to work for X number of years in order to live the life that I eventually want to live when I'm retired. So, yeah, it, it, I mean, it sounds crude, but it is a bit a bit of a means to an end. Like, I want to... And it's an enjoyable way to get there. Though. Exactly. I, yeah, it is an enjoyable way to get there. Um, so I do feel fulfilled in the sense, but yeah, there's different, I guess, forms of fulfillment. Yeah. Um, and what does that retired life look like for you? Like you have some vision, it sounds like, for for this end game. Somewhat. Um, I guess I just, I don't know. I Obviously, well, I guess maybe not obviously. I, I'm of the opinion that... You, Sort of, you only live once. I don't believe in any sort of reincarnation or anything like that. So I think I have to experience as much of the world as I can while I'm here. So, and, and that takes time and money. Like essentially those are, I'll say the two components you need to actually explore the world and to, to get the most out of it. So I hope it's a lot of travel. Um, that's one of my dreams is just, you know, actually go around and see the world and see as much of it as I, as I can. And then 
I don't know what else. This is probably something I should figure out. Maybe golfing, but I don't like golfing that much right now. Yeah. <laughs> but there's got to be some, you know, something to take my time in between the traveling because it's hard to travel 24 seven. Um, but that's the biggest thing is just travel, hang out with my beautiful, hopefully someday wife. But um, <laughs> did you just propose? <laughs> uh, <I'm> not- <laughs> Redact. <laughs> We'll save it for another day. No, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just want to see everything I can while I'm here. So, and it's hard to do while you're working, and it's hard to do, well, you know, again, there's sort of the two components that I've identified are time and money, which mm-hmm. I don't know if there might be some other ones as well, or maybe I'm simplifying it, but. Travel sounds nice to me. <laughs> um, we're, I think we're running up on time, and I want to I wanna touch on one last topic, though, okay. before we before we cut out here. So, um, you know, along the lines of your relationship, you two live together, right? Um, And I think I've heard from both of you about, um, you know, when, when you moved in uh, some, some family conversations around that uh, with your parents specifically. So, um, but obviously you still made the, the decision to, to move in together. So, you know, maybe maybe give us some context around like how some of those conversations went with your parents about the move in, um, how it made you feel, and and like, you know, just how did, how did you process that, that that act of rebellion or or however you view it? Well, yeah. Well, I maybe I'll bring up how it went first too. So like. I think it was your idea at first and like maybe I was nervous only because of I'm like what will my parents think what will even some friends think and I'm like I don't know that was the only part that was like made me second guess or hesitant about it and so eventually I'm just like it's my life I want to enjoy it so like that's kind of my thought process but did you ever have that hesitancy like I did either because of that. I don't think so. <laughs> and I think it's largely because I'm so separated from my family as it is in my life. Um, Just so, by distance, you mean? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So because the podcast doesn't know, I, I moved after college to, to work at my current um, job. So, and that was a big move, like across the country. So, you know, I, I ended up living on my own for about a year, two years, two years maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of just, I don't know, it felt like, you know, with distance and... Again, like, I, I guess I don't have to deal with the repercussions of a decision like that on a day-to-day basis. You know, I'm not going to – I only see my family maybe four or five times a year, um, whether I'm going home or they're coming um, to visit. So, you know, I don't have to, again, yeah, deal with the repercussions really. You know, my life is very separate from my family's at this point when I'm making this decision, whereas yours was still very intertwined to, to an extent because you still live well, close yeah, to your family. Because, like, after college, I lived with my parents still – and then I had probably just moved into an apartment with a friend. Oh, I don't know. Like, it would have been a, a couple months in, like maybe six months in. And then we thought about when our leases end in another six months, what we'll do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I also think it's a little interesting. So I think there is um, the religious component as well where I think – so it, it's funny. I think it's a bit of like sort of degrees of separation. So my parents – 
aren't very religious, but we did um, go to church on you know a number of Sundays as a kid, and they tried to bring me up in you know in, in that way. But it's almost I don't know the way I view it. My mom almost did a lot of this in order to please her mother, my, my grandmother, who is very religious and um, very traditional, you know, like conservative values and whatnot. So uh, I think a lot of what my mom was doing as a kid was, well, not as a kid, uh, as she was raising us, was A, you know, I think she, there was some component that obviously I think she is, you know, I, I don't think my mom's unreligious. I think she does, um, she was somewhat religious, but she also wanted to do this so that my grandma was pleased as well. And it was almost the same thing with this decision where at, you know, my mom's initial reaction was that she wasn't pleased, but it's my life and I can do what I want with it. Um, but I think almost the majority of her displeasure was with the fact that she knew my <laughs> this would greatly upset my grandmother, who to this day does not know that Elisa and I are living together. Um, my mom has made the executive decision of just not telling her that and um, <laughs> using other, I don't know, uh, I don't know what it was going to say, I don't know, just giving her a different story about what my current situation out here mm-hmm. is. So anyways, um, but I think to you that that religion component was a bit closer because that I don't want to misspeak, but I think your mom is a little bit more religious than... Yeah, I think so. I think that's the only part about, like, that's the only reason behind why it probably bothered my mom. Um, I really don't know what my dad thinks. I think my mom's the one who speaks <laughs> up about it more. So you, but... you've had a conversation with your mom about it. Can you, um, like, how did that conversation go? I can't remember how it first came up. I want to say she probably, this was probably even over text. Like, I don't even think I called her or or if it was in person, but she probably was asking me, like, am I going to live another year with my roommate or something? And I said, I think I'm going to move in with Dan. Like, and that's, and I honestly don't, I think she just gave me her opinion. Like, I don't think you should, but you're an adult, so I can't, like, control what you do. Like, I'll have to let you do whatever you want. So, like, she understands that, too. I mean, that, but, that sounds healthy. Yeah. Right? And, uh, like, but, like, even a couple months ago, she kind of brought it up again. And I was just like, Mom, it's not going to change. So, <laughs> like, I, I can't do I'm not going to do anything about it now. And I don't think that was her intention. But mm-hmm. I think another um, more lighthearted and kind of funny reason my mom was more on the set. You know, again, she wasn't. She was fairly supportive. It was just that initial like gut reaction of her was like, oh, no, like my son is doing this. But she's never given me grief about it. But I think part of it also was when I first took this job and moved out to the Midwest, the heartland of our country. um, Though one of the things like vivid flashable memory, she said, please don't date out there. Like, I don't need you to find a a nice Midwestern girl to settle down with and never come home because like she was worried that I would never come back home to, to be with or, to, you know, back to the Philadelphia area. Yep. And so this was like another, like, nail in that coffin of, like, oh, no, now he's moving in with this Midwestern girl. Like, I'll never see my son again. But much less dramatic. But anyways, I think, you know, this probably made it a little bit, like, more clear for her that I had no immediate intentions of leaving um, and going back home to the Philadelphia area, which she may have held out some hope for after college. Like, this would be a pit stop job, and then I'd eventually try to make my way back to the East Coast, which... I was, you know, that was sort of a possibility in my mind as well. But um, once I met the people out here and worked for, you know, I, I enjoyed the work so much that it, I began to dismiss that much more, more and more as the time went on. Just one more thing I was going to bring up about my mom, too, is like, I think so, honestly, probably like a month or two after we moved in, we got a cat. And 
I mean, my mom's like the biggest animal lover ever. So she's just in love with the fact that we have a cat. Like she doesn't care that we're living together and both technically are like parents of the cat. She's the grandparent. She loves it. She loves being the grandparent cat mom. So if you have animal lover grandparents, I'm sure they would love if you got a little animal for them. Uh, I mean, it sounds like your your families are being supportive in their own ways, even if they're not, you know, 100% comfortable with the living arrangement. At least they're supportive of you as a couple. And I I I don't think it's keeping them up at night either. Yeah. So... My parents love Elisa much more than <laughs> a past relationships. So they are, you know, A1, like anything that gets her to stick around, I think they're all on board with. Um, I was going to say, it was kind of funny, but you brought up having the cat. My dad had a very opposite reaction. Again, this is more like a, his gut reaction, but not like something he truly feels in his heart. But um, when he heard that we were giving a cat, he was like, you know, sort of going back to like the manly man, like masculinity thing, like the cat, like you're getting a cat? Why aren't you getting the dog? Like, you know, the dog is like the the man's animal or like the man's best friend. And he was, because we, I didn't grow up with cats. Um, at least I did. But yeah, I, I'd always been like a one dog household, very um, like nuclear family and whatnot. Um, so anyways, yeah, he was very surprised to hear I was getting a cat and that, that was even something I was interested in. Um, but I think he's very, yeah. yeah. We have a cool cat, so it helps cool win cat. him over yeah, to be a I, cat guy. <laughs> I love Jackson. That, that's their cat's name. Yes. He's wonderful. Yes. And very shy. Very shy. Um, Dan, so great to have you with us today. It was an awesome episode. Uh, I think it was downright magical and really honored to have you as our first guest. Thank you so much. You killed it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad uh, I'm someone that both of you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>